Flock, this is the Book of John, the podcast companion to all of my writings on Substack. And now, please turn in your books to chapter 13. Back to the boards. When I was but a tween, I discovered Dungeons and Dragons at a church camp. Obviously, this is the best way to be introduced to D&D in the early 80s at the height of the suburban satanic panic in a church camp where it's already considered contraband and must only be spoken of in hushed whispers. We would huddle in the boys' cabin, sneaking glimpses of the player's handbook, a worn hardback with hundreds of pages of tiny, single-space rules, character classes, charts, descriptions of monsters, all the wonders a little boy could hope for, crammed into a single volume. The possibilities were endless. You could be a hero with a sword or an assassin with poison. You could be a bard and mix music with your sword play. And obviously you could be a wizard who would start off with a couple of near useless spells but would one day grow into an almost invincible sorcerer. And not only did the game have all this world building to it, it had weirdo dice. I'd never seen anything like them. Eight-sided dice, 12-sided dice, 20-sided dice, and the most mind-bending of all, the four-sided die. It blew my imagination wide open. To that point, my exposure to games was fairly standard. Monopoly, checkers, risk, at all. A board, plastic pieces, maybe some cards, some play money, and a couple other bebobs. A few basic rules, fate decided by random die rolls, and a little bit of strategy mixed in with a fair amount of luck. D&D, minus all of the needless bullshit controversy surrounding it, required nothing but paper, pencil, a bunch of Satan's dice, and an endless desire for storytelling and role-playing. And in the 80s, role-playing games, or RPGs for short, were a boom industry. You could become your favorite comic book hero in TSR's Marvel superheroes, or Mayfair's DC heroes. You could fly to other planets in Star Frontiers, or battle anthropomorphic animals in Palladium's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and other strangeness game. You could battle with monsters and zombies in Beyond the Supernatural, or even become a Jedi in Star Wars. Once I started playing RPGs, I never looked back at board games. For the simple folk, those were. Too linear, too one-note, too... whatever. Sure, I'd submit to playing one every so often, but those were like a quick drink at the bar, and the RPGs were like slamming heroin right into my brain. I was often the dungeon master among my friends, and I have many treasured memories of spending days or weeks designing characters and campaigns for our weekend play sessions. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that those games were foundational for me developing as a storyteller and a writer. After I graduated college, I didn't get to play RPGs much. My game-playing friends had split far and wide, and RPGs were on a decline, video games more or less taking their place. Why imagine fighting a dragon when you could fight it digitally on your PlayStation? Plus, I had other fish to fry, trying to break into the entertainment industry and writing, so before I knew it, a decade plus had slid by, and eventually I'd been out of the RPG loop longer as an adult than I'd been in it as a kid. I missed it, and would sometimes toy with the idea of getting back into it, or finding a group to play with, but it never happened, and board games weren't even on my radar anymore. Well, you figure this was leading somewhere, right? I was in my 30s and working in post-production when I met my friend and future podcast partner, also named John, whom you can hear with me on our podcast, The Hold Up, every month, Such Synergy. We discovered we were fellow cinephiles and geeks in general with shared interest in Star Wars, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Blade Runner, all the things that make life worth living. We'd wrap at work, hang out at lunch, but besides occasionally running into each other at movie theaters across L.A., we didn't see each other much outside of work. Then, one fateful day, he asked if I'd be interested in joining him and some friends for playing a board game version of the then-current TV show, Battlestar Galactica. 
I was skeptical. I'd heard some rumblings that board games had evolved over the years, but I had no idea what that even meant. I guess I figured they'd become more like the tabletop war games that hardcore gamers used to play in the 70s, prior to the invention of D&D, and I didn't really have much interest in it. In my mind, the medium was terribly limited, and I told John so, though the idea of hanging out with friends for an evening and playing games did sound like fun anyway. He got a look in his eye, a playful glimmer I've come to know well and trust over the years, and he said something along the lines of, he thought I'd get a kick out of it. Since I'm sure you've already guessed where this is going, I'll skip to the punchline. Since that fateful night, John and I and a few other friends now play board games on a weekly basis with the same heroin-like frenzy I used to dedicate to RPGs. We recently took a guy's weekend where we drove to Lake Arrowhead and rented a cabin for the sole purpose of playing board games all day. Well, that and sleeping in. And getting away from our families. And eating at steakhouses. And drinking. But mainly playing games all day. What was it about board games that re-hooked me that night? Well, it certainly wasn't the 45-minute explanation of the rules. In fact, when it took John that long before the game even started, my skepticism began to drip over into near annoyance. But it had a play style that I'd never seen before in a board game. It was mostly cooperative, and that was what changed everything for me. I couldn't have imagined playing a board game where everyone was on the same side, trying to accomplish the same goal together, and if someone had told me they existed, I probably would have written them off as dopey and childish. But cooperative games very much echo my experience with RPGs, where everyone in the game was working together. Even the Dungeon Master, to my thinking, should be working with the players to create the best game, and thus the most fun experience possible. Now for some groups that means going full hardcore, where the DM is actively out to beat the shit out of the players, but most of the best RPGs I've played, the players and DM all work together to maximize the experience. And with co-op board games, I discovered I enjoy sitting around a table working with my friends to solve the puzzle of the game. Now, Battlestar Galactica has a unique mechanic in the game, a traitor mechanic as it's known, where one or more people are secretly working against you. At the beginning of the game, you're given a card that tells you if you're a good guy or a traitor. If you're a good guy, you work with the other good guys to win. If you're a traitor, you actively work against the group, and if the good guys lose, you win. And sometimes you don't find out who's who until the game is over. So the game isn't fully cooperative, and in fact, by the end, it can get downright argumentative. And I think in a different environment and with different people, I would have ended up turned off by the game and not been sent down the path to board game Nirvana. But here's the thing. And far as I can tell, it's fairly unique to my playgroup because I knew from that first night how rarefied it was. John made a point the whole evening to make sure we were enjoying the game. He didn't try to win. In fact, he went out of his way to make sure our enjoyment of the game superseded everything, including his success. He made sure that as we were playing, we not only knew what the rules were, but how we could use them to our advantage. Nobody was allowed to cheat, even by omission. John was determined that we play the game honestly, even if that meant he would lose it. It seems weird to say, especially about grown-ups, but I'd never experienced that outside of adults playing with children. I realized that night, whenever I played with people I didn't know, there was always a chance that someone was going to cheat, whether on purpose or accident. Whether that was by not keeping you appraised of the rules except when it benefited them, or letting you flounder as they used their knowledge and experience of the game to beat the snot out of you, or straight up stealing cards, moving pieces, or secretly breaking rules you don't realize exist. John's dedication to a fair game, especially in a game that was designed for players to lie and cheat one another, was, no shit, astounding. I loved it. I loved realizing that I could ask questions and not get half answers, for fear that it might ruin someone else's win. I felt like I had an actual fair chance to win this massive, overly complex game the first time I played it. I don't even remember who won that night. I doubt I did, but the path was set. 
I didn't get the bug instantly, but the next time John invited me to play, I happily accepted and was introduced to another incredibly huge, complicated game. It might have been Call of Cthulhu, but again, I don't remember. I just remember that again, John made sure everybody knew the rules and enjoyed the game. We started meeting regularly, and it seemed like every time we met, there was a new game to try. I saw a huge variety of games, different ways to play, different experiences to have. The differences weren't like the differences of Clue to Monopoly. They were like the differences between Candyland and chess. One game you might be rolling dice, and the whole thing being random mayhem. Others, there'd be no dice and almost no random elements except the whims of the other players. So if you've heard of this new board game revolution and want to give it a try, I have suggestions. I'll spare you the agony of diving right into the super complicated ones and start with a few easy fun ones that anyone can play and you can learn in minutes. The only limitation on most of these games is that they're more fun with three or more people, so keep that in mind. Strike, a dice rolling game, very simple, very addictive. You roll dice in a little plastic gladiatorial arena, you keep the ones that match, lose the ones that don't, and often you try and strike the other player's dice. Just one. One person blindly picks a random word, and the rest of the players have to make the person guess that word by using just one word themselves. Trust me, it's a really fun party game and very easy to do. Cash and guns. You and your friends have just robbed a bank and now you're trying to steal the loot from your friends. You count down from three and then point a gun at the guy you want to steal from. Comes with foam guns for extra fun. Medium. You partner with the player next to you to try and get each other to say the same word simultaneously. Chaos ensues. Ticket to Ride. Technically the only board game on my list here, a very simple game about making train routes across the country. You can only do three things. Pick cards, play cards, or play a train. That's it. It's great for families and a gateway drug for more complicated fare. One day, if y'alls have the interest, I'll dive into the super complex, super difficult board games my friends and I play to annoy each other. But if you're curious for a peek, I only have one word. Gloomhaven, which is the ultimate board game version of my beloved D&D games of yore. You've been warned. Thank y'all once again for coming to listen to The Book of John. You can reach me at thebookofjohnpodcast at gmail.com or you can go to Substack and look up at John Patrick Nelson to find me there. Thank you so much for listening and... Would somebody please stay late so that they can help me, you know, clean up all the folding chairs? I'll see you next time.